0: Okay, three, two, one, oh my goodness, good morning, good afternoon, whatever it is for you, I hope you're having a fantastic day, my name is Zach Shomler. this is Strong Opinion Sports, thank you so very much for tuning in, this is episode 249 of this podcast, I can't believe how long it's been, uh, thank you so much to the people who listen, now on today's episode, what I'm going to do, I'm, number one, I'm going to explain where I've been and why it's been a while since I recorded We're going to talk about Andy Dalton, Dak Prescott, Justin Fields, the Ohio State quarterback. So many people want to hear a follow-up to my comment, like from the last episode, about Justin Fields. We're going to talk about the NFL schedule. I know it's late, but hey, better late than never. We'll talk about Josh Rosen, Michael Jordan, and we will answer some Ask Zach questions. I hope you're doing well. I want to say, first of all, thank you so much to the people who watch. I can't say enough. Thank you so much to the people who watch or listen to the podcast. Um, I ended up taking a break. And I didn't really mean to, you know, when I recorded the last episode of the podcast, I was not planning to take a break. And then, you know, when I ended up realizing I needed a break, I just leaned into it and took some time off. I want to say, I'm sorry to the people who have been wondering and waiting for the next episode. I didn't mean to have poor, you know, communication. I try to communicate well with you guys. And um, I I just apologize. I always try to be as honest as I possibly can. I try to tell you exactly what's going on on my end. Um, and I kind of hit a wall and once I realized again that I needed a break, I just leaned into it, tried to relax. I think my fear when admitting I needed a break, my fear is that people are going to hear that and go, you know, get mad at me and decide they're not going to listen to my podcast anymore. I don't want people to stop tuning in because I needed to take a week off. I'm sorry for the poor communication. And I, I want to tell people I've made some changes behind the scenes to how I do things and how I operate. Uh, really for the last couple of years, I've had this crazy work schedule that's been really erratic and unsustainable where like i mean people know i upload the show at like two in the morning i often am doing i I stay up all night regularly and i've had this crazy cycle that's really really unhealthy where i would literally work for 30 you know 35 hours at a time just constantly go 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 until i would crash and i'd work until i physically couldn't stay awake anymore than i'd crash for a few days literally i'd be like totally out of it like totally useless and so i've made a change you know i Created a more steady work schedule that's going to be creating content at a doable pace for the first time, probably ever. Uh, and I encourage other people if you make content, if you want to be a content creator, you got to do things at a steady, doable pace. It's so, so important. Uh, you know, it's kind of crazy, actually, I think that I've come this far without doing that. Uh, I-, I used to work really hard. I-, I started the schedule because I was in college doing a full time job and school and a podcast. And so, I'm trying to just make things more doable and more steady. I believe this is going to help me make better content more consistently. Uh, Now, here's what I'm not doing. To be very clear, I'm not making a recording schedule. This is a work schedule behind the scenes, but I'm not making this a daily show. I'm not going to commit to recording on Tuesdays or Wednesdays or Thursdays, whatever day. I want to have just a private work schedule behind the scenes. And whenever my work is ready to be recorded, I'll record it. But I want to do that more consistently consistently. And my goal is to make good content that I believe in. I want to make a product you guys like that I look at, I'm proud of, and I want to do it more often. Um, My hope is that people can look at uh, the YouTube channel especially and go, every single day, there's a new video, there's a new thing coming out, and it's not being forced. It's at a steady pace. It's good quality content. Uh, But I also got to remember, I'm not a corporation. I'm competing against people that work for Fox Sports Radio and these gigantic corporations or have gigantic teams of people. I'm one guy you know, in a studio at my house. And so, uh, it's just me. I love sports. This is my favorite thing in the world and I'm excited for the future, but I want to be very clear. The reason why I'm not going to make a dedicated recording schedule is that I want the show to remain flexible. If I want to, if there's breaking news, I want to be able to record ASAP or if my, my film analysis videos, for example, take forever. And if a show is taking a while, I don't want to be like, I have to rush it and get it out. I want it I want to allow for the creative process to take as long as it needs to, but I don't want it to be like I work and then I have a week off where like I'm crashed and I'm burned out, whatever. Um, and I want to be careful with that word burnout. I know people hear the word burnout and go, oh, is Zach ever going to burn out and quit? No, no. I, I want to be clear. I love this show. It's my favorite thing ever. And I, I, I want to make a career doing this. I don't have a college degree and I, I want to do this for the rest of my life, honestly. Um, but I also want to make Thoughtful quality content and doing that sometimes takes more time. So, I don't want to rush me to meet a deadline. So, I'm not going to commit to recording on a certain day of the week, yada, yada. But I do want to be clear behind the scenes, I've made some changes. I want to make content more frequently and do a better job of that. And I apologize to the people who have been like, Where's Zach been the last week? I just took a week off. I didn't know I needed a week off as badly as I did. But as a result, I made changes behind the scenes because I love the show. It's my favorite thing in the entire world. And uh, it's it's just my, it's my career plan. It's the best thing I've ever done, and I love it. And uh, I want to make the best show I possibly can. So thank you so much for tuning in. I really appreciate it. I wanted to just be straight up and honest with the people watching and listening, tell you where I'm coming from and what's happening. And I know a lot of people are like, ah, I don't care about this stuff. We're going to get into sports. But I wanted to be very clear and upfront and tell you guys what's going on behind the scenes. All right. Uh, I've got a lot of catching up to do. And the reality is that there's like... 35 things I want to talk about. I mean, I've, when you take a week off, there's so many things that happen. And I'm like, I, I have so much to say. And I'm not going to be able to get to all of it in this episode. Uh, it doesn't seem like a good episode, a good idea to put 40, you know, 45 things in one podcast. I don't want to make a six hour podcast. I don't think anybody wants it. I, I'm sure there's like one crazy person out there that goes, Oh, yes, I could play Madden for six hours while Zach talks in the background. Um, but you know, I'm gonna make I'm gonna break up all the content I have into some smaller episodes and record them and release them at a steady pace so that you guys have a a frequent stream of content. I really want to make a thing where it's just a steady stream of content always being created for Strong Opinion Sports. Uh, now, the thing I want to start with today is this: I want to talk about Andy Dalton, and I know I'm late, but at this point, it was either talk about Andy Dalton late or literally not talk about it at all, and so. The Dallas Cowboys have signed quarterback Andy Dalton. Remember, if you're if you're not quite sure, you heard that name. Andy Dalton was the Bengals quarterback for the last nine years, the starting quarterback in Cincinnati. And when it was first announced that Andy Dalton, as a free agent, signed with the Cowboys, people were like, what? The Cowboys? A lot of people seemed surprised. To me, it made a lot of sense. In fact, I made a video talking about where should Andy Dalton go. And hey, lo and behold, one of the teams I mentioned was... The Dallas Cowboys, it made too much sense to me. They need a backup. They're not sure about their starting quarterback. He's from the area. And Andy Dalton, you got to realize, he grew up in Texas. He went to school at TCU, which is in Fort Worth. Fort Worth is right next to Texas. Um, There's like, it's Dallas, a couple suburbs, Arlington and Grand Prairie, and then uh, Fort Worth. They're right next to each other, like 30 minutes apart. I personally, if I were to live in Texas, I would live in Grand Prairie, Texas. It's my, I'm weird. I love the suburbs. It's probably my favorite area in Texas. So basically, Andy Dalton, the Texas kid, went home to play for the Dallas Cowboys. I think it's actually kind of cool. He even owns a home in the Dallas area. He literally doesn't even have to move. And so for Andy Dalton, he had nowhere else to go. If he was going to sign a deal with one team, the Dallas Cowboys made the most sense. He signed a one-year deal worth $3 million. Now, he could make up to $7 million in totality if he gets on the field and meets a couple of incentives that he could, you know, lined up where if he does this or that, plays a bunch, yada, yada, he'll make even more money. Now, there are two things from, I think, the Cowboys perspective that make a lot of sense here. Number one is I want to be very, very clear. A lot of people, I've seen so many headlines. Is Dak Prescott going to lose his starting job to Andy Dalton, this and that? No, no, no. The Dallas Cowboys are bringing in Andy Dalton to be their backup quarterback. But the reason why this made so much sense for Andy Dalton is because Dak Prescott, the starting quarterback for the Dallas Cowboys, has a bit of an uncertain future. And so Andy Dalton, no matter what team he was going to go to, he was going to a team as a backup. The Cowboys actually might be the best opportunity for him to possibly get on the field of anywhere he could potentially go. Now, maybe, 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 maybe people think that, and I'm not even saying it's possible. I think that there are people out there that say it's possible that, Andy Dalton could replace Dak Prescott. The reason why that's not going to happen, even if I think Andy's a better quarterback, which I don't, I'm not, cons- you know, I'm not really convinced he is. I think they're pretty close. But Jerry Jones, who is the owner and operator of the Dallas Cowboys, is very sentimental. He gets really attached to his players. He's not going to replace Dak Prescott. Now, all that being said, Dak Prescott is in the middle of contract negotiations, and in case anything goes wrong. Andy Dalton is an incredible, incredible second option at quarterback. One of the best probably in the entire NFL. If you're going to have a guy that's not your starter on your roster, Andy Dalton might be the best backup in the league. He's been a starter for years. He's made it to the playoffs. He's won a lot of games. I believe the Cowboys intend for Andy Dalton to be their backup quarterback, but in case he's needed as a starter, in fact, if there isn't ever a situation where Andy Dalton needs to get on the field. Andy's solid, and he's cheap. He's $3 million, maybe seven if he plays a bunch. That's great. This deal, Andy Dalton to the Cowboys, it works for everybody really, really well. Now, Dalton gets to play in his home state. There is a chance he can play more than any other team, and the Cowboys got a really cheap backup plan. Andy Dalton is a contingency plan in case, for some reason, Dak Prescott does not play for the Dallas Cowboys next year. And honestly, he's the best contingency plan available. The Cowboys needing a play is not a bad option. And I think Andy Dalton and Dak Prescott are a similar talent level. It's kind of crazy that they got Andy Dalton as cheap as they did, given that Dak Prescott's considering signing a massive, massive contract. I'm like, is that really that big a difference between Dak Prescott and Andy Dalton? I don't think so. But to be very clear, Andy Dalton is a backup in Dallas. All right. Um whew. The Cowboys quarterback, Dak Prescott, still does not have a contract to play next year. He doesn't have a contract to play on next year. He has uh, not signed a long-term deal. He does not have a long-term deal in place. Now, the Cowboys placed a franchise tag on him, so Dak Prescott cannot sign with another team, and if he decides to play on on a franchise tag, he'll make around $33 million next year. But Dak also has not signed the franchise tag either. He's still holding out hope he's going to get a long-term contract. He has until July 15th to negotiate for that long-term deal. Now, I believe Dak is going to wait as long as it possibly takes trying to get the deal he wants. I don't think in the end he's going to get the deal he wants. I think in the end he's going to end up signing the franchise tag. And you got to look at it from, a, from Dak's perspective. The Cowboys got way better this offseason, they signed, they got a new head coach on offense, Mike McCarthy. They got new receivers. They got new people in free agency and in the draft. The Cowboys' offense got better this past offseason. And I believe Dak wants to play really well next year on the franchise tag, increase his value as a player so he can get an even bigger contract worth more money next offseason. But here's a wild, wild possibility. This is crazy. I know many people are going to get very mad when I say what I'm about to say. Dak Prescott wants this massive, massive contract. What if the Dallas Cowboys decided, you know what? We're not going to offer you the franchise tag. We're going to pull that offer back. And we're going to make Dak Prescott a free agent tomorrow. Dak, you know what? Fine. Go sign with whatever team you want. First of all, why would you pay Dak Prescott $33 million when you have Andy Dalton for three to $7 million, and they're similar talents. I, I don't know. I get that Dak Prescott's younger. I guess you want to have a bigger plan for the future. Fair enough. But here's the reality of Dak Prescott. This is what makes people very angry. I ask you, what team, other than the Dallas Cowboys, would sign Dak Prescott to a long-term contract? What team is going to give him $33 million a year? The Jaguars? No, they have Gardner Minshew. They have a quarterback on a really cheap rookie contract. They wouldn't do that. The Patriots, no, they have a cheaper quarterback, Jarrett Siddham, they like. The Panthers got Teddy Bridgewater cheap. The Redskins have Dwayne Haskins and Alex Smith. There's not a single NFL team I can think of, that, and it even is out there, that wants to give Dak Prescott a massive contract. Who would do it? The reality is the Cowboys are Dak Prescott's only option If he wants a big long-term contract and they've given him an offer and he doesn't want it. It's kind of crazy to me. I get it. He wants to increase his value, but I don't right now. His value isn't where he thinks it is. Now, Jerry Jones, the guy who, again, who owns and operates the Dallas Cowboys is super into family. He treats his players, He's very sentimental with his players. He's got very close relationships. He likes to have them over to his house, yada, yada. He likes to have his guys. His players are his guys. He's loyal and he treats them well. So when push comes to shove, Jerry Jones is going to pay Dak Prescott. Jerry Jones' sentimentality is going to get in the way. And in the end, Dak Prescott's going to make a lot of money from the Dallas Cowboys. But again, I believe they're the only team that would be willing to give him a massive contract. Honestly, everything I see says, do not give Dak a big contract. Do not pay Dak Prescott a massive contract worth a lot of money long term. Because it's going to cripple the Dallas Cowboys. Teams that give their quarterbacks massive contracts haven't won a Super Bowl. When Aaron Rodgers got his massive Super Bowl, no, excuse me. When Aaron Rodgers got his massive contract, no Super Bowl. Matthew Stafford, no Super Bowl. Matt Ryan, no. No Super Bowl. When you pay a quarterback, historically, a massive contract, even Drew Brees. Drew Brees a quarterback I love. Where's the Super Bowl? He had one years ago, but after signing the record-breaking deal, no Super Bowl for even Drew Brees. And that's Drew Brees. Would you put Drew Brees and Aaron Rodgers in the same category as Dak Prescott? I would not. I think Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees can carry a team, but even Aaron Rodgers struggled to carry a team without help around him. When Aaron Rodgers won a lot of games last year, it's because he had a great team around him. Good coaching, good players, and a good defense. And Dak Prescott isn't good enough to carry a team by himself. That makes people mad. I don't care. It's the reality of the situation. And if Dak Prescott was that good, he would have done it by now. It's just true. He's He's not good enough to carry a team by himself. And that's not the worst thing ever. It's not that shameful to say, yeah, I need a good receiver. I need a good offensive line. I need a good defense. I need good coaching. It's not that horrible to say Dak Prescott can win if he has help around him. But the truth is he needs help. And to do that, you need to be able to pay the people around Dak Prescott. So if you sign Dak Prescott to a massive contract, you are crippling the Dallas Cowboys. And here's something that drives me nuts. I hate when people say this. People say Jared Goff got a huge contract. Jared Goff, the Rams quarterback, got a massive contract. That means Dak Prescott should too. I want you to ask yourself, was the Jared Goff contract, was the Jared Goff contract actually a good move for the LA Rams? Was it a good move for their franchise? No. No, it was not. The Rams overpaid Jared Goff. It hurt their franchise. They paid Todd Gurley too much money. They paid Jared Goff too much money. People need to ask themselves, if you're a Cowboys fan, are you actually a Cowboys fan? Are you a Cowboys fan? Or are you actually a Dak Prescott fan? Because right now, they do not have the same interest in mind. A Cowboys fan would prefer that Dak Prescott sign the cheapest contract possible for as little money as possible. Now, here's the risk. If you don't give Dak Prescott a long-term contract, you risk losing him. If the Dak Prescott contract doesn't work out, if the Cowboys don't give him a long-term gigantic contract and he leaves, you might not have a franchise quarterback for your future. So Jerry Jones, the owner and operator of the Dallas Cowboys, has two options here. Do you want to win a Super Bowl or do you want to have the Cowboys brand, be steady, healthy, and win a lot of games, but not a Super Bowl. Because signing Dak Prescott is a low-risk move. And I know I'm saying, I probably should just say Dak, his last name. People get mad when I say Dak Prescott. They're like, count how many times you say Dak Prescott. I don't care. When you sign Dak to a long-term contract, it's a low-risk move. Because what it ensures is that you're going to have a solid, stable starting quarterback for the next, what, 10 years. And that totally agreed, right? I I am not a Dak Prescott hater. He's a solid quarterback. If he's your starting quarterback, you're going to win a lot of games for the next 10 years. But if you give him that massive contract, you also cripple your team. You're probably not going to win a Super Bowl. If you overpay Dak Prescott, you're not going to win a ring. Does Jerry Jones want to win a ring? Or does he want to have a good brand and be like, yeah, we won a lot of games and We're a solid franchise. We're selling lots of t-shirts and have lots of goodwill. People like us, but we're never going to win the big game. I don't know. I think Jerry Jones wants to win a Super Bowl. He's got a ton of money. The Cowboys are a good brand. They have lots of fans. They're going to have lots of fans whether they win three games or ten. Honestly, I mean, that's just the truth. And if they pay Dak Prescott too much money, they're going to have a hard time Affording good players to put around him. So I think Jerry Jones wants to win a Super Bowl before he dies. I'm not saying that's anytime soon. But if Jerry Jones has 20 years left, in the next 20 years, Jerry Jones wants to win a Super Bowl. And my fear is that he's likely going to let his sentimentality get in the way. He likes Dak Prescott. He's a Cowboys player. He's a Cowboys guy. I fear that Jerry Jones, who loves his players, loves to... Treat him like family. My fear is Jerry Jones is going to overpay Dak Prescott and cripple the Dallas Cowboys. The crippled Cowboys. That's sad. That's what I think will happen if you give Dak Prescott a massive contract. Okay. Uh, the NFL schedule came out. I got a ton of messages about it. I even watched the Sports Center special, like the NFL schedule, special release. Um, I'll be honest, as a talking point, the. NFL schedule doesn't move the needle for me very much. I'm like, oh, wow, we found out the Ravens are playing this team week seven. I don't don't care that much. And I wish I did. I feel kind of bad because I know a ton of people were really, really excited when the NFL schedule came out. Um, I do have some insights to share, but I will say this, and this is not in my notes. The schedule got me really excited for the season. And what it did, I think more than anything, is by the NFL schedule coming out, the NFL making a big deal about it, having this big event on ESPN, What it did was give me hope. It made me feel like, okay, it's going to actually happen. Right now, the NBA is not taking place. The MLB's got problems. I'm not even sure we're going to have an MLB season at all. But the NFL schedule coming out gave me hope, okay, this fall, at some point, we're going to get football. It's going to be great. It's going to be fun. We're going to have the NFL. And it gave me hope that a season's actually going to happen. That's the biggest takeaway I have and made me really happy with the NFL release, uh, the schedule release, excuse me. Uh, but I'll be honest, it is just a schedule. I mean, there's a, there's some things to say. And you know, before anything, I want to give a shout out to Trey Wingo did the ESPN Sport Center special about the NFL schedule release. He did that. he also did the uh, the NFL draft. That's a long production. Trey Wingo did a great job. I really am uh, I've never really watched or listened to anything he did, but he did a great job hosting both events. I want to give him a shout out. Um, and I I want to say that we'd better hope that The NFL week one happens in September. I really hope that the NFL schedule is not pushed back or the NFL season is not pushed back at all. Uh, What was decided is that if the state of the world doesn't allow for games to happen in September, the first few weeks are going to get picked up and pushed all the way back to the end of the year. So like weeks one, two, and three could be played in January and everything else is going to stay the same. You know, for the spatially talented people, just imagine grabbing the first three weeks of the schedule, then dropping them at the end and leaving everything else exactly the same. So imagine like week three or four becomes week one, and you play all 17 weeks out from that point. You'll still have 16 games, which I I really like that. Again, I want a full schedule. I want a full season. Even if it can't start exactly in September, I'm okay with that. But we'd better hope that it does, in fact, start in September for a couple of reasons. Number one, uh, week one of the NFL season looks amazing. I want that as soon as possible. You have the Texans at the Chiefs. That playoff rematch where, man, the Texans had a three-touchdown lead and then they lost. Got the Jets at the Bills. Sam Darnold versus Josh Allen. A divisional rival New York game. The Packers at the Vikings. The Dolphins at the Patriots. Remember, no Tom Brady. The Dolphins are actually pretty solid. They beat the Patriots last year at the end of the season. The Browns at the Ravens. Baker versus Lamar Jackson. The Buccaneers at the Saints. That's a tough game for the Buccaneers. But you have Tom Brady. Against Drew Brees. I can't wait to see that. You have the much improved Arizona Cardinals at the San Francisco 49ers. That's Kyler Murray versus, man, the, Kyler Murray, that great 49 excuse me, Cardinals, much improved offense against the 49ers. Can't wait to see how Isaiah Simmons covers George Kittle, the tight end for the 49ers. Uh, the Rams open up their new stadium by hosting the Dallas Cowboys. Like, ooh, what a big deal. And I don't even know if we're going to have fans in the stadium. Imagine like how weird that would be. Opening a brand new stadium without any fans. So the Raiders, I guess, will have the same thing. Kind of funny, odd, and interesting. But I, I don't know, man. Honestly, you know, I-, I really want Week 1 to happen in September. That just sounds like so many amazing storylines. Not to mention, I didn't even get into, oh yeah, Monday Night Football looks great. I- I'm not a huge... I, I kind of jokingly hate on ESPN occasionally. But man, Monday Night Football Week 1 is awesome. The Titans at the Broncos getting... Drew Locke, the young quarterback in Denver. All the new weapons around him against the Titans and their good defense. Then we get to see the Steelers at the Giants. And even that game, at first when I heard Steelers-Giants, I went, eh, who cares? And I was like, wait a minute, think about it. We have two massive fan bases, the Steelers and the Giants. That's millions of people who are going to care and be very passionate about this game. The Giants' new coaching staff. You have Daniel Jones, the Giants' young quarterback against... The older model, Ben Roethlisberger, young versus new, old versus new, excuse me, Um, could be a lot of fun. So I I think, man, week one looks incredible. I hope it happens during week one. And honestly, again, the NFL schedule just got me excited for football. Like, oh, it's going to happen. I don't know when it's going to happen, but I just can't wait to be done with this pandemic. I'm so tired of, I want to go out to eat. I want to go to a movie theater. I want to have a normal life again. I want to go hiking. Um, I, and I so badly want football to be back. I mean, it's been an excruciatingly difficult offseason, even more so than normal. Normally I get withdrawals from football, but now the unknown of is it even going to come back has been even more difficult. Um, and here's the thing. this one deep insight I want to share. If, in fact, the start of the NFL season gets moved back, if, like, say, games can't happen in September, we got to have week one in October, and the, the season starts week four is actually week one and you're not going to change anything else from there. That could be a problem because teams like the Vikings, for example, the Vikings have their bye week or their week off during week seven, which is like kind of early, but okay. But if the season gets, if the start of the season gets, you know, moved back and then the season opens week four, what would have been week four in October is actually week one. That means that the reality is that you're your bye week, which would have been week seven, is now week four. Way too early, like brutally early, which could really affect the Minnesota Vikings. So that's the one concern. If, in fact, the NFL schedule is moved back a little bit, it could really hurt teams in their week off. Their week off could be way too early, and that'll cause problems. As an NFL team, you don't want the later bye week. You don't want the earliest bye week. You want somewhere that Goldly locks middle zone. Week 10, week nine. That middle, maybe week eight, that middle point of the NFL season is the best time to have your week off because it gives you an equal part on each side, an equal half beginning and end of the season. If your bye week's too late or too early, it's just not a problem and it kind of hurts you. So that could really hurt teams that have the earlier bye week. If their early bye week gets moved up even more, ooh, that's really, really brutal and hard to deal with. Now, I have a couple scattered notes. Uh, Every, I want to be very clear. Every single NFL schedule is tough. A lot of people, myself included, I'm guilty of going, man, this team has an easy schedule. Let's break down every game. Um, and I'm going to do that here. Right? To be clear, like I'm going there's a team out there that I think has a manageable schedule. I go, they could win a lot of games. But to be very, very clear, a caveat there is I understand every single NFL game is tough. There's not an easy game really on an NFL schedule because every game is tough. It's a battle. Even teams you think have a bad record and are going to suck, they're still a team that could beat you because NFL teams are all capable of winning. Now, with that being said, though, there are two teams that I think have a, I think a favorable schedule, especially early on in the year. The Bengals actually have a schedule where the Cincinnati Bengals could win a couple of games next year and be pretty pretty solid, like an eight or nine win team. And if, in fact, the Bengals get obliterated and have a bad record next year, I think it's more an example of how bad the Bengals organization is as a whole because the Bengals have the NFL did them a solid the Bengals have a schedule that allows them to possibly win a couple games against some bad teams worth noting now the 49ers actually I think it starts 7-0 and if the if the 49ers can win two tough games in their first seven the 49ers could start 7-0 and this is the 49ers first seven games of the year Week one, they play the Cardinals, which is a tough game. That's, I admit, hey, Cardinals, 49ers, that's an interesting game and a tough game for the 49ers. But after that, you have at the Jets and at the Giants two games in New York back to back. I think staying on the East Coast, which is what they're going to do for two weeks in a row, is going to give them some momentum and help them acclimate to the East Coast. That's, I think, man, I think the Jets are not terrible, but the 49ers are better. Then week four, maybe it's week four. I think it's week four, but now it's their fourth game. The 49ers play the Eagles. That's another tough game. And then after that, the 49ers play the Dolphins, the Rams, and the Patriots. The 49ers have an opportunity to start 7-0. I I like that. I think the early schedule for the 49ers is favorable. Now, the Patriots are an interesting storyline. I don't think the Patriots are going to win a Super Bowl. But here's the thing. If you're a Patriots fan, here's the thing to pay attention to. Like the narrative, here's the thing you could care about if you're a Patriots fan. You're probably not going to win a Super Bowl, but you can strive for this one thing. This can be the goal and the thing to hope for if you're a Patriots fan. 17 years in a row, 17 year one seven, 17 years in a row, the Patriots have won at least 10 games every single year for the last 17 seasons. Now, and I'm really curious, can the Patriots, without Tom Brady, with Jarrett Stidham at quarterback, can they still win at least 10 games this season? That's the thing to play for and the thing to root for if you are a Patriots fan. Now, before we close the segment, I want to kind of circle back to the Sports Center special with the NFL schedule release. They did one thing I thought was very, very weird and kind of weak. I even want to make fun of ESPN for a second. The producers, whoever came up with this idea, the idea I'm about to talk about was so silly to me. I went like, you're going to highlight that? It made no sense to me. ESPN made a list of the top 10 reunion games for the 2020 NFL season and to me it was a total joke I went top 10 what do you mean they were like and to be clear the top five was solid everything after the top five was just awful I mean they one of them was like Eric Ebron a tight end who got released who got who didn't get signed again by the Colts Eric Ebron who's not really a star tight end Against his former team, the Indianapolis Colts. I just went, why is this a top 10? It should have been a top 5. Having 10 reunion games is kind of a joke. But the top 5 were really good. Well, and we're going to mention now, I want to talk about the top 5 games they talked about. Number 1 was Teddy Bridgewater against the Saints. Week 7 and 17. He's now the Panthers quarterback. His former team is New Orleans. Hey, I don't think he's going to win, but it's interesting. Week 16, you have Nick Foles, the Bears quarterback. Former Jaguars quarterback playing against his former team, the Jacksonville Jaguars. That's interesting. You have the Broncos' new running back, Melvin Gordon, against his old team, the Chargers, Week 11 and 16. You have Jimmy Garoppolo and the 49ers against Jimmy G's old team, the New England Patriots, and Jared Stidham. That's Week 7. And then Week 15, you have the Browns and Odell Beckham Jr. in New York against the Giants. That looks really fun. So the top five were really good. Six, seven, eight, nine, and 10. I went, I can't remember what all they were. They were like offensive linemen who aren't stars against their old team. I'm like, who cares about this? It was just like ESPN reaching for straws to make filler content, and I thought that it should have been a top five, not a top ten. Hey, however, the top five, I give them credit. Whatever producer made the top five, well done, ESPN. Um, All in all, though, I want to say the NFL schedule is just a schedule. I don't have a lot more to say than that. Um, All it did to me, it gave me hope, and it really, really made me want football back. I cannot wait. Until the NFL season in 2020. I want to watch football. Um, that's all I have. Actually, you know what? I will say this. The Tampa Bay Buccaneers schedule is kind of brutal. Um, you know, on ESPN, the, the Sports Center special, who was it? It was Ryan Clark said that uh, the Buccaneers were going to go 11 and 5. And I think he had them winning like seven games in a row. And I went, ooh, good luck. I mean, if I, if I look back, I do have in my notes what their schedule was. Week one. The Buccaneers play at New Orleans against the Saints. Uh, The Bucs play a lot of tough games. They play at the Broncos. They play against the Chargers. They play at the Bears. Those are all teams with really good defensive lines that can make Brady's life really, really tough. Uh, And by the way, everyone assumes that the Buccaneers are going to walk all over the Carolina Panthers. I don't think so. The Panthers are not terrible, and they have a pretty good defensive line. People assume the Buccaneers are going to... I think the, the term was... The Panthers are going to get pummeled by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I actually don't think so. I think that's a team that should not be overlooked by the Buccaneers. Uh, They also play the Packers again. They play the Packers. The Buccaneers do the Packers. The Saints play. What am I saying? The Buccaneers play the Packers. They play the Saints twice. They play the Chiefs with Patrick Mahomes. They play the Vikings, a solid team. My point here is that if the Buccaneers have a great year, they're going to have to beat a lot of really good football teams in order to do that. I didn't even mention that the Buccaneers play the Falcons two times in a three-week span, which no matter who you are, no matter what team you're playing, it's hard to beat a football team twice in a three-week period. The Buccaneers' schedule is really tough. I can't wait to watch Tom Brady. I hope he succeeds. I'm rooting for that. I want to see that happen. But the road for the Buccaneers is really tough. Tom Brady and Tampa Bay, man, they're going to have a tough time. If they want to have a good winning record to win their division, they're going to have to beat a lot of really good teams. Uh, we'll see, but I want to be very clear. The Buccaneers do not have an easy, easy schedule, even a little bit. In fact, the road is going to be really, really long and really, really tough for the Buccaneers and Tom Brady. All right, guys, uh, I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we're going to talk about Justin Fields, the Ohio state quarterback people. Oh man. I got a lot of feedback from people that are kind of upset about what I had to say about Justin Fields. I said, he's not that great of an NFL prospect. We'll talk about that. Why I said that. We're going to talk about Josh Rose and Michael Jordan, and we will end the episode with Ask Zach. In fact, also, there's one more nugget that I didn't mention in my, uh, having in my notes here. Um, We're going to talk about a guy named Trey Tinsley. Trey Tinsley is a guy I've only met one time in my life. I would not consider him a friend. And and look, not that he's a bad guy, just him and I were not, I've never really talked to him other than one time in passing. Um, But he's got a really, really cool story I want to share with you guys where he took advantage of an opportunity. And I, I think just knocked it out of the park. We're going to talk about Trey Tinsley. Give him a lot of praise because Trey Tinsley deserves it. Everything I've heard about him from my friends at Washington State is, is really good. And so I'm going to share a story about a guy, an unsung hero, and a guy who has had a really cool story that I think no one is ever going to talk about that I think deserves to be talked about. So my name is Zach Schaumler. I'm going to take a short break. When I return, we'll talk about all that stuff. It'll be really, really fun. My name is Zach. I will be right back. Oh, right. We are back. Uh, Let's get into something that, man, made a lot of people really, really mad at me. Um, A while back, I said that Justin Fields, Ohio State's quarterback, isn't that great of an NFL prospect as a quarterback. And oh boy, people got really, really mad at me. And so I want to unpack that sentence and unpack that phrase and that statement. Um, I watched the tape from Justin Fields entire season last year. And it was his first year as Ohio State's starting quarterback. This is not an attack on Justin Fields. I want people to listen to what I have to say. A lot of times, especially on YouTube, people just comment really angry stuff without listening to what I have to say first. Listen to what I have to say, man. If you disagree, no problem. You you can just hate my you can just hate my assessment. Um, and I want to say I'm rooting for the guy. I'm rooting for Justin Fields. I think he has NFL potential, and I want him to make it in the NFL. But on film, you see a lot of stuff. When I watch tape, I see a lot of things that Justin Fields needs to improve on if he wants to succeed as an NFL quarterback. Now, before we get into that, people always, always talk about his stats. You know, Justin Fields had 41 touchdowns last year to only three interceptions. Obviously, it's very clear Justin Fields had a very successful year last year. No, No question, right? He had a successful season. But numbers in college, having good statistics in college, does not necessarily mean a quarterback is ready for the NFL. Now, the number one thing Justin Fields needs to improve on as a quarterback is ball location. Regularly last year, Justin Fields was throwing to people who were wide open, and that meant that his inaccuracy and his problems with ball location went unnoticed because it didn't matter. If you have a guy wide open... And you underthrow him a little bit. Hey, no problem. The guy still caught the ball, still probably scored a touchdown. There are two really, really key examples of this in the Florida Atlantic game and the Cincinnati game. Both games where Ohio State won by a ton of points. And despite the fact that his team won by a lot, Justin Fields himself was far from perfect. There was a 10 yard out against FAU, Florida Atlantic, where he throws it high and just way out of bounds. And they are like, that's a 10 yard out. You can't miss that throw. Or against Cincinnati, he had a wild miss on a corner route, which was not near anybody. And he, he had an out route, which is way late and way too far inside, almost picked off. And again, people ignore these little tiny things because Ohio State ran the ball really well and he was up by a lot of points. So the incompletions he threw didn't matter. But if you watch the tape of Justin Fields, yeah, his team is winning, but not necessarily is Justin Fields playing great and not necessarily is he making a lot of NFL level throws. These are just a few examples I mentioned, Florida Atlantic and Cincinnati, of a high volume problem where Justin Fields regularly struggles with accuracy. He does not throw the ball at an NFL level. He doesn't drive the ball into tight windows the way you want to see an NFL quarterback do. And I really hope that Justin Fields, the issues I'm going to talk about, I hope he sees them on tape and addresses them because it's really easy. The problem is that it's really easy for a guy like Justin Fields who You know, played really well, had good stats, and had a successful year with his team. It's easy for a guy to buy into their own hype and just talk about, yeah, man, 41 touchdowns, three interceptions, but the reality is that if Justin Fields wants to succeed at the NFL level, which I think he does, I'm pretty sure Justin Fields wants to be an NFL quarterback, he's got work to do. You threw an interception against Michigan where a deep ball just got away from him. It happened twice in this game where, you know, one before halftime against Michigan where, against Michigan State, excuse me, where Justin Fields throws a deep ball. The ball just got away from him. It's not a good throw. It's nowhere near anybody. One before halftime was dropped. And it's not really an encouraging thing to see a guy struggling with accuracy, struggling with throwing the ball. Now, accuracy is something that Justin Fields can improve on and can work on. Joe Burrow and Jalen Hurts both got better at that last year. Justin Fields can get better at accuracy as well. He can get better at footwork. He can have better at throwing the ball. But I encourage people, go watch Ohio State versus Clemson last year. Justin Fields had two interceptions. He should have had four. Early in the game, on a second and nine, he got baited into a bad decision and was lucky. The defender dropped the ball. Also, later in the game, he was late and inaccurate on a comeback where an interception was dropped where he hitched up multiple times, holding onto the ball too long. And the ball was way too far inside. So late and way inside on a comeback. You can't do that. That's not an NFL-level throw. Justin Fields' highlights are phenomenal. Go watch his highlights. You go, oh my gosh, this dude looks like an NFL quarterback. But the problem is, if you just look at highlight reels, every quarterback looks incredible. For the most part, every quarterback has got some good numbers. You look at his highlights, you go, man, this guy can play. But the reality is that Justin Fields played on a stacked Ohio State team that last year hit a lot of his issues. His problems were not easy to see because his team's winning by 40 points and running the ball the entire second half. He struggled with stepping into pressure. If he's, He couldn't throw as a guy was hitting him. He really struggled to step into pressure as he's throwing the ball. You don't see many throws where Justin Fields worked across the field to his third and his fourth option you see a lot of times. He's catching the ball. He's locked in one side of the field or the other. He's regularly throwing to his first and second reads. Again, that's not entirely his fault. He played on a really good offense and a really good system where he didn't need to often work to his third and his fourth read. But you never saw that, and that's concerning because you want to see an NFL player have NFL habits, and he doesn't. You also saw Justin Fields regularly underthrow a lot of deep balls. He made bad decisions where he was throwing into traffic and the receiver would bail him out, make a crazy catch where you're like, oh, that's not a good play, but oh, well, the receiver helped him, so whatever. Again, I want to be very clear. I see... NFL potential from Justin Fields. The way he moves is incredible. He's so good at running around and extending plays. I'm not completely out on Justin Fields. I'm not saying he's awful. And in spite of his mistakes, he's actually a relatively solid decision maker within Ohio State's offense. But his stats are way padded with guys being wide open and a lot of screen passes. And I keep seeing people rank Justin Fields as the number two quarterback in next year's NFL draft. Oh boy, Uh, people need to slow down. This guy's got a lot of growing to do if he wants to succeed at the NFL level. Most people just look at his stats or his highlights and neither one is really a good representation of how a quarterback plays because you want to watch a quarterback's bad plays to see what's their bottom, what's their bad plays look like. You can't just judge a player on all his best moments. I'll be honest, I can't wait to watch Justin Fields next year. Again, I have hope and I believe that he can continue to develop into an NFL quarterback. Two years ago, Joe Burrow was not the same quarterback he is today. Justin Fields can get better, but he's got to work on throwing the ball with bodies in his face. He's got to work on throwing the ball to his third and his fourth option. He's really got to work on ball location. He can't throw the ball low or high or behind people or underthrow deep balls. He's got to have better ball location if he wants to succeed at an NFL level. Right now... It's just not. It's timing. I want to see more NFL throws. Timing's a huge deal from Justin Fields. He's often late and too inside on out routes. That's a problem. And people are going to think I'm hating on the guy. I am not. My job is to tell you what the film says. And the film says that Justin Fields needs to improve a lot if he wants to succeed at an NFL level. I don't hate the guy, but he's got things he needs to work on. Those are exactly what he needs to work on. He could. I hope he does. But again, the film says he needs to improve if he wants to succeed at the NFL level. Okay, um, there's a guy you've probably never, ever heard of who deserves a shout-out. His name is Trey Tinsley. He was a backup quarterback at Washington State University last year. Uh, last year, his senior year, Trey Tinsley got beat out by another senior quarterback, Anthony Gordon, which meant that Trey Tinsley never saw the field. He was never, ever Washington State starting quarterback. Played there for years. Never saw the field. And that's sad. That's a hard thing to deal with. Like, oh, man, Uh, you never played. But now Trey Tinsley is a graduate assistant at Mississippi State. His old head coach, college head coach, Mike Leach, went from Washington State to Mississippi State. And he said, hey, Trey, come along with me. He brought Trey Tinsley along with him. And I, I have not talked to Trey Tinsley about this story, but I put two and two together It's not hard to see that. And the big story last year out of Washington State, out of Pullman, Washington, which is where Washington State is, is that last year after getting beat out for the starting job, after Trey Tinsley was announced the backup quarterback at Washington State, the big story that the media said and even that has been told to me from my friends who play there is that he remained focused and locked in after getting beat out. And when a guy learns he's not going to play in his final year, it's really easy to check out and be like, man, I got one year left, I need my degree, and I'm not even going to play? I've given years of effort for this this football team, and I'm not going to get to play at all? It's really discouraging. And Trey Tinsley never played at Washington State. It stinks. But all my friends I've spoke to that play on that team spoke really highly of his effort last year. Said, man... After getting beat out, he stayed engaged, he stayed locked in, he helped the team, he paid attention, was in meetings, was doing all this stuff, and I think it's a good lesson to people out there, you know, Trey Tinsley, I've said his name a bunch, because I want people to go look him up on Twitter, go check out the kid, Um, he's now helping out at Mississippi State as a coach, and Mike Leach would not have brought the guy with him if he wasn't a helpful asset last year in his senior year at Washington State. You know, by staying engaged, he may well have opened up an opportunity for him as a graduate assistant, and really opened up a potential career opportunity as a coach. I mean, this is a big deal. Trey Tinsley went from not playing to potentially opening up a career as a coach. I love it, man. It's a it's a cool story where when you can be helpful and when you can be positive to be around, it really really makes people want to work with you. It, it sucks. I feel bad for Trey. It stinks that he never got to play. Um, I assume his aspirations were to play and he never really got to see that dream realized. And that's sad. That's hard. Uh, But his attitude and his effort opened up a possibility for him to become a coach and give him a new career opportunity and give him a next step. And it's a lesson for everybody, really. Your attitude and your effort matters. You never know how having a good attitude, how helping the people around you, how treating people right, how giving good effort, even when you're not necessarily being rewarded in the moment for it. It's got something called delayed gratification where, yeah, I mean, it's hard. And you're the third string quarterback or the backup quarterback, and you're working and you're serving and you're being nice and you're helping out and you're working hard every day. And you're like, man, I'm not going to get on the field. What's the fruits of my labor here? But in the end, a guy like Trey Tinsley, who never saw the field, still found a way for his hard work to pay off. He got an opportunity to be a graduate assistant. I love this story. It's one of my favorite stories, really from from college football last year, where it's a guy who... His hard work and his effort paid off. And you never know what kind of opportunities might be down the road if you have a good attitude, you work hard, and you give great effort. Trey Tinsley, well done. I just want to applaud you, man. You've done a a really cool thing, and I just uh, have nothing but respect for you and your work ethic. And everyone speaks really highly of Trey, and it's cool for him that he got a new opportunity, a different opportunity as a coach when his playing career had ended. And, uh, man, again, well done, and I'm happy for you. I'm rooting for you as a coach, and um, good job all around. Okay, um, man, I don't know. This is ugly, but there are when I look around, there are a lot of big changes coming to college sports. You know, particularly college football. You have, I mean, it's about to get really complicated. You have paying players as a possibility now, and I, I think it's really being discussed. And you know, players have to get name and likeness stuff. Uh, you have a possible college conference realignment where. Is the Big Ten going to stay the way it is? is the Big 12 going to stay the way it is? is the Pac-12 going to stay the way it is? Not to mention yeah, COVID-19 screwing up all college sports. Uh, the Oregon governor, Kate Brown, announced that there are not going to be any sporting events through the month of September. So there's no, an Oregon and Oregon State are not going to have home football games in September at all. No NBA, no college football. But I want to make a prediction. With all this uncertainty in the air, especially with COVID-19, The group to watch is the SEC. That's Alabama, LSU, Auburn, Mississippi State. I believe that regardless of what other leagues and other conferences do, if the Pac 12 isn't playing, if the Big 12, if the ACC isn't playing, I believe that the SEC is going to play their college football season. I think that's going to happen. I'd be very, in fact, I'd be shocked. I'd be shocked if the Big Ten or uh, maybe not, I'd be shocked if the Pac-12 had a season with Stanford, with Cal, with all these other things going on in the West Coast. So many barriers. But the opposite is true about the SEC. I'd be shocked that the SEC did not have a season. College football is a part of the fabric of their culture and their being in the South, in the SEC, in Georgia, in Mississippi State, you know, in (laughs) Florida, in Alabama. They are so passionate about college football. I just really believe that the SEC is gonna play and their colleges are going to start. I am so confident. I think that you know college football is going through a lot right now, but college football is what the SEC lives for. There's even like YouTube channels, YouTube channels and websites are so much dedicated directly to the SEC, they just care so much. I think they're going to find a way to make a season happen. If you have anybody to pay attention to, to keep your eyes on, it's the it's Alabama, LSU, Georgia, Florida. The SEC is the group of teams and the group of football and colleges to watch. I think they're going to have a season, whether other people do or not. They're going to play themselves and have a, even if they have to have a self-contained season, they will. Because college football means so much more to the South. I am confident the South is going to have a college football season. Okay, um... I keep getting asked a lot of questions about Josh Rosen. Remember the former Arizona Cardinals quarterback, the now Miami Dolphins quarterback, who's kind of been cast aside for Tua Tagovailoa. And the question everyone wants to know is, what is Josh Rosen's football future? Now, here's the harsh reality about Josh Rosen as a quarterback: two teams now, the Cardinals and the Dolphins, have had Josh Rosen, the quarterback out of UCLA, on their roster. And they decided to draft another quarterback in the top five instead of committing to Josh Rosen. Remember, he got replaced by Kyler Murray, the number one overall pick in Arizona. And now he's been replaced by Tua Tungvaloa, the number five overall pick in Miami. That's like the death penalty. I mean, I hate saying that. I mean, it's hyperbole, right? For your career, that's like the death penalty, man. People are not going to really want to believe in you as a starting quarterback ever again. No NFL team is ever going to bring Josh Rosen on their football team hoping he'll be their starter ever again after two teams now have passed on him and moved on. He can compete as a backup, I guess, and earn his way up. That's a possible route. But the fact that he's been replaced two years in a row is a really big red flag. Teams work with him and then they're scared off and they don't want to commit to him. That's, again, nobody's going to ever want to work with Josh Rosen again. It's crazy to me that Josh Rosen was... Not only some people's number two quarterback. People, most people, for the 2018 NFL draft had Sam Darnold, Josh Rosen, then Baker Mayfield. <laughs> the reality is Josh Rosen was the fourth quarterback picked in that NFL draft. He was the number ten overall pick, though a top ten pick was Josh Rosen. And now we, at this point, he's a total bust. I mean, Josh Rosen is in company with Christian Ponder, the twelfth overall pick to the Vikings, Jake Locker, who an eighth overall to the Titans. And Josh Rosen, now the 10th overall pick. All three of those guys are busts. It's sad, but it's true. At this point, Josh Rosen is, without any shadow of a doubt, Josh Rosen is a bust. And that's hard and that stinks. He's only on his third year in the NFL. And he's already, because of the moves that have been made around him and people not wanting to commit to him. He was not worth the 10th overall pick. He's a total waste of a pick. And it's really, really sad that that's what's happened to his career. I don't know what happened behind the scenes. Maybe he's not a good leader. Who knows? But my point is that nobody's going to ever trust him and invest in him as a starting quarterback ever again, unless he really does a lot of things and changes a lot of stuff and works his way all the way up the totem pole to become a starting quarterback on maybe some other team who knows. But at this point, Josh Rosen is unequivocally an NFL bust. Okay. um, I want to talk about the last dance, the Michael Jordan Chicago Bulls documentary, episode five and six of the last dance in particular these are the episodes where we learned about Michael Jordan's, some of his competitiveness, some of the problems behind the scenes, and honestly, some of his gambling. And whether that's a problem or not, ah, eh, we'll see. Um, I believe that there are some, these are some of the episodes where Michael Jordan was really afraid we're going to make him look like the bad guy. You know, more layers of the onion were peeled back. And here's about some of the issues behind the scenes on the Bulls. And you realize that not only did not everybody like Michael Jordan, Michael Jordan is not perfect. Now, we also heard about his gambling. I think that's separate and unrelated. And it honestly sounds like to me, the gambling was a hobby and kind of a competitive thing for Michael Jordan, less than it was a problem. I mean, Michael Jordan had so much more money than everybody else. I don't, I don't touch gambling. I intentionally have avoided having sponsors to do with gambling. I just don't, I don't promote gambling. But even me, a guy who's very much not involved with gambling, I've never gambled, I don't really want to, I look at Michael Jordan's, quote, problem with gambling and go, is that really that big a problem? I don't know. But I'll be honest, these episodes about Michael Jordan, The Last Dance, episode five and six, really just made me feel kind of bad about Michael Jordan, feel bad for Michael Jordan. Um, I want to say, it makes sense to me. The big takeaway from five and six is that it makes sense to me when people who are super famous and super rich get massive, massive homes. If you're going to get mobbed everywhere you go, you get out of a taxi, you go to a bowling alley, you go to a bar, everywhere you go, people are going to, you know, rush you and take pictures of you and just, you're going to get paparazzi everywhere you go, then you'd want a house where you can have everything you want without leaving. If you can't go bowling in public, build a bowling alley in your house, invite your friends over to your house, have drinks, go bowling, enjoy your night. And you do it without ever leaving your gated house you live in. I mean, that makes a lot of sense to me. Tom Brady having a 30,000 square foot house when you realize, oh, he can't go anywhere without getting mobbed makes a lot of sense. Tom Brady or Michael Jordan cannot go out in public the way you or I can. You know, we're more normal people. We can just go live a normal life. My favorite line of the entire series of The Last Dance for me was, everybody wants to be like Mike for a day or a week. Try being Michael Jordan for a whole year. Ooh, it's heavy. Because there's all this pressure. You have to achieve at a high level. You get mobbed everywhere you go. And again, you still have to perform on the court. It's kind of crazy. Guys like Michael Jordan, LeBron James, Tom Brady, they all deal with the burden of legacy. And it seems like only athletes deal with this. It seems like athletes deal with this more than any other profession. You don't see actors going out like, you know? Leonardo DiCaprio is not concerned about the GOAT conversation. It's only athletes that deal with the GOAT conversation. Only athletes deal with this extreme pressure to worry about your legacy and what you leave behind, especially because actors can act... You know, from a kid to death, you can act forever as an actor. You have a very limited time span as an athlete to put your stamp on your sport. Imagine trying to live up to your own legend. I just, I really feel for Michael Jordan. The legend Michael Jordan had to live up to uh, on a daily basis is kind of insane. You, How do you enjoy winning? Winning from game to game, the journey would be really hard to enjoy if you're Michael Jordan always worried about. The reality is, Everything hinges on being able to win a championship at the end of the tunnel. I honestly feel for Michael Jordan. I, I, I feel kind of kind of bad. Like, man, it's that's a heavy burden to live up to. Now, you get a lot of perks. He's insanely rich. He's going to have, I mean, fame is different than money's great. I don't know that fame is actually something you'd want. I, I don't know that fame is this super desirable thing where you're getting mobbed everywhere. It doesn't sound like a great thing to me. Now, I will also say this, and this is kind of a separate thought. I do feel kind of bad for Michael Jordan's teammates as well. Um, I am sure that Michael Jordan was hard to play with. Hard to play with. He was the alpha of alphas. The top dog who would not concede to anybody. You either got to bow to Michael Jordan or else. I mean, you could not challenge him. And he was competitive at everything. Cards golf, even playing quarters with security guards, that's got to be exhausting, not only to do, to be Michael Jordan has to be tiring. Although I guess if that's, if you're competing at it, maybe Michael Jordan felt a sense of satisfaction by constantly competing. But I'm sure that being around a guy like that, ooh, I, I think it'd be tiring. But also in order to become, you know, Michael Jordan, he had to be that kind of guy. Only a guy like that with that crazy competitive drive where every single thing was a competition, sitting down, (laughs) drinking water, everything. Only a guy like that with that kind of drive dominates and succeeds at the level that Michael Jordan did. Jordan is not perfect, but again, nobody is. And honestly, I think that's kind of the tragedy of Michael Jordan is it seems like he became a larger-than-life figure that's really impossible to live up to. I love Michael Jordan. I think that he is often felt the, he's often felt that burden, you know, you know, kind of burned by the media where ever since the nineties bulls, he's been, man, I can't trust the media. All they can do is hurt me. And he's right. I mean, if you're Michael Jordan, why would you ever open up to the media? All they can do, you have nothing to gain. You're incredibly famous. You're a huge brand. People love you. All you can do by opening up to the media is hurt your brand and hurt yourself. I think that the difference for Michael Jordan now, the reason why he's doing The Last Dance or even allowed this to happen is that he's got this point where he's got so much money and just doesn't care. He's older. He doesn't care. Say whatever you want. He doesn't care anymore. He's literally that rich. Um, I- I'm not sure what else to say. I think the house thing is the most important takeaway from this episode, honestly. When people get mobbed by the media and mobbed by everything, I- I mean, it's crazy. Like the amount of money Post Malone makes or a, a musician makes so much more money than Michael Jordan or you know, LeBron James, LeBron James makes 250 million. And that's, look, that's bucket loads. That's an asinine amount of money. But Post Malone makes that in like a year. I mean, like in like what, like he makes like, so I don't even know how to explain this, but like a musician or an actor makes so much more money than an athlete. And yet an athlete maybe has an even harder time walking around in public and getting away with things. I just don't know if the price is so steep your life forever. You can't go anywhere and you may not have made i don't know man like winning Survivor is a great example where survivor you make a million dollars and a million dollars is a lot but you're are you're, you're not set for life you're not getting generational wealth from a million dollars the same way you would from you know post malone's career post malone never needs to work ever again and his kids don't need to work and his kids kids don't need to work post malone has made so much money this is the first example i could think of um but that that makes a lot of sense to me the house thing I get why people have gigantic, massive houses. If you can't go outside without getting mobbed, I'd want a house that has everything too without having to leave. So I'm watching 7 and 8 tonight, you know, episode 7 and 8 of The Last Dance. Um, I know I'm a week late, oh well, but I'm loving The Last Dance. It's really good. I know a lot of it's not new information, but it's a really thoughtful documentary series with really good information and really well-organized information and good storytelling that I really, really love. And if you haven't watched The Last Dance, I really recommend you go watch it it's really, really great. Okay. Uh, it's time for ask Zach. This is my favorite part of the podcast. It's where we read questions from the audience. And in case you don't know how it works, go to patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler, patreon.com forward slash Zach Schaumler. You give a dollar a month. You can give more if you want to, please do. Uh, the money from Patreon literally helps pay my rent. Uh, but a dollar a month gives you access to submit questions on Patreon. And if you submit a question, I do not guarantee to answer it on the show. My only guarantee is I look at every single question with my eyeballs, and I pick the top couple to read on the show. So if I can find my phone, where's my phone? Oh my gosh. I have to cut because my phone's over. You know what? I'm going to go get my phone. You're going to see a weird jump cut. Going to be back with my phone. Okay, we're back. I needed my phone. I left my phone across the room, and I use my phone, of course, to read questions from the audience. The first question today is from Jake. He says, hey, Zach. New to Patreon, but I wanted to support you because you're such a hardworking dude. My question is about ASU football. In recent years, Arizona State football has been at a plateau. Never great, but never awful. Our relatively new head coach, Herm Edwards, is promising, but has yet to prove himself. So what is your gut feeling about ASU football? I like our quarterback, Jaden Daniels, but he had his share of rookie mistakes. Do you think he will succeed at the collegiate level or even in the pros? Thanks for all the content you've been putting out recently. Serve for the repost. I think I commented on last week's Zach, Zach as well. Uh, Jake, number one, I love Herm Edwards. Herm Edwards is phenomenal. Uh, I know some of the players there at Arizona State. They genuinely love him. Herm Edwards is well-liked. Uh, he's got an NFL-style approach. His players really appreciate that because, I mean, let's be honest. the people at, the, at Most of the people at the Division I level are players that want to play in the NFL, and it really helps Herm Edwards in recruiting when he says, look— I'm recruiting guys who want to play in the NFL. I'm recruiting guys who want to learn and be trained by NFL coaches and have NFL philosophies and want to get to the next level. I want to help people do that. High school kids who have aspirations for the NFL hear that and go, oh, great, I'm on board. I want to play for Herm Edwards. And honestly, I believe that Herm Edwards could become a, a guy like Pete Carroll at USC or you know, he wants to make Alabama, or excuse me, he wants to make ASU, Arizona State, like a Clemson or an Alabama where they have perennial Success, and they are a team putting a lot of guys in the NFL. I I really like what they're doing in Arizona State at Arizona State. He's got a couple guys working as analysts, uh, you know, behind the scenes. I buy into it. I buy into what Herm Edwards is preaching with Arizona State. I think they're a football program on the rise, headed in a great direction. Uh, Also, I love Jaden Daniels, the young quarterback at Arizona State. I love his film. I watched it. Um, He needs to be more vocal. My concern with Jaden Daniels, what I've heard about that program, is that Jaden Daniels, I mean, man, when you watch him, it's so clear. He is so immensely talented. Jaden Daniels, the quarterback at ASU, is a guy with NFL-level talent and some habits that you see, like his ability to work through progressions, go to a third or fourth option. As a freshman, that's a big deal. But what he needs to do is step up as a vocal leader, speak up a little more in the locker room, but he's really talented, has some NFL habits. I really, Jake... You're an ASU fan. I'm happy for you because ASU, in my opinion, is headed in a great direction, doing a lot of the right stuff, and I really like where Arizona State is going as a program. Second question is from Landon. Landon writes in and says, Zach, what's your opinion on YouTube TV? So I got to say, I love YouTube TV. YouTube TV is a television streaming platform very similar to uh, like PlayStation View. I a little while ago, when I got my own place, I really said, no more cable. I'm not going to get cable when I get my own place. I got... YouTube TV instead, it's way cheaper, like, I mean, way, way, way cheaper to get YouTube TV, and it's the best way to watch sports, I don't have cable, I use YouTube TV instead, this is not a commercial, they're not a sponsor, uh, but what they do is they give you unlimited recordings, so I record everything, I record every college football game that's on TV, every college basketball game, every NFL game, every NBA game, every sporting event that's on TV, I record it because you have unlimited recording space, and they hold everything on your DVR, quote unquote, for a year. So I can watch, if I want to go back and watch UNC versus Clemson, I can do it because I have it on my TV somewhere. Um, it's, It's genuinely, YouTube TV is a great product. It's so cheap. I can't believe how cheap it is. I think it's 50 bucks a month, which given what you're offered, it's an incredibly great deal compared to cable or other options. You need fast enough internet to make it happen because again, they don't use cable. It's internet. Um, it's a streaming service, but I cannot recommend it enough. I watch almost everything recorded now because I just hit, like I save Survivor to my DVR whenever I want to watch Survivor, it's there. Um, they also have a ton of movies. I'm not sure how YouTube TV works in Europe. I don't know if YouTube TV would give you access to NFL games in Europe. I think it's all local, like works like a local TV net, like cable service would. Uh, but in the United States, it's amazing to use YouTube TV. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, screw Cable. YouTube TV is the right right way to do it. Uh, It's cheaper. It's genuinely a better product. Uh, You just need good enough internet to make it happen. And if you do, um, I cannot recommend YouTube TV. hard to say for some reason. YouTube is like a weird word, tough to say for me. Uh, Great product. I can't recommend it enough. Uh, Joel writes in. Joel says, I feel like I am the only person out on Sam Darnold. And I have been since college. Is it possible that he's actually overrated? And people just love his stature and personality. He just seems like a typical tall, big arm, Pack twelve quarterback who has not seen elite defenses and pass rush until the NFL. Seems like a really good seven on seven pro day quarterback. Thanks. Uh, yeah, Joel, I think you are completely wrong about Sam Darnold. Uh, we will do, I will do a film analysis eventually of Sam Darnold. Uh, maybe that's the next one I'll do. Um, what, Little I have seen about... I've watched a lot of Sam Darnold, but I haven't done a full in-depth film breakdown. But what I've seen from Sam is that he carried the Jets last year with not a lot of weapons around him, a lot of turmoil with the coaching staff. He made Robbie Anderson look like a star. Uh, Sam Darnold is really, really underrated. I I, I really like him. Uh, The circumstances around him haven't helped him that much. But Sam Darnold is not Jake Locker. I do agree. I really like what you're saying about typical Pac-12 quarterback. I think that's... Uh, The Pac-12 does not necessarily train quarterbacks to have NFL habits the same way the SEC does. I think the Big Ten, if you want to be an NFL quarterback, the best place to play probably is the Big Ten because of the type of defenses you'll see and the type of talent and the the type of stars and people you'll play with. Uh, But I want to say one thing. I keep hearing this narrative. Sam Darnold is a USC quarterback, and USC quarterbacks don't make it in the NFL. Can we please, please, please... Stop with the narrative. It's really a stupid narrative that blank college, whatever college you want to put in that blank, people say blank college cannot produce good quarterbacks. It's just wrong and dumb. It's the same reason why comparing Sam Howell at UNC to Mitchell Trubisky, another former UNC quarterback, North Carolina, is not a good reason. Sam Howell plays for Mac Brown, a completely different head coach, a different system, and he's a different quarterback all around. He's got a different skill set than Mitchell Trubisky did, who played years ago for a different quarterback. I believe Roy Anderson, I can't remember the name of the coach at UNC when Mitchell Trubisky played for, but it's a completely different staff. You can't compare a a quarterback from five years ago to a quarterback now at the same program with completely different coaches and different environment around him. I hate that term. People say, well, he's a such-and-such school quarterback. He's not going to work in the NFL. Like two people say, you know, two as an Alabama quarterback, Alabama quarterbacks don't make it in the NFL. It's just dumb and wrong. I don't agree with it at all. and It's very silly. So, Joel, I think... No, fa- no offense, Joel. Thank you for writing in. I think you're wrong about Sam Darnold. I didn't mean to go on this tangent about USC quarterbacks or whatever. I know you're not saying that about Sam Darnold, but I'm telling you, Sam Darnold's a great quarterback. Uh, I think even a little bit underrated. And he's really, really helping the Jets, even though they haven't put great pieces around him. Randy writes in. Randy says, Are there any difficulty difficulties for a left-handed quarterback... I'm going to restart because this is really... I don't know why I'm, I just can't... Woo! Can't even read it. Randy writes in. Randy says, Are there any difficulties a left-handed quarterback would face that a right-handed quarterback normally would not? And why do we see so few of them in the NFL? Okay. Um, an issue that a right-handed quarterback... Uh, that a left-handed quarterback might face, actually, is having a coach that's right-handed. There are two issues. Um, sometimes, at, especially at lower levels like college or... High school, you have an offensive system where play calling could be geared towards helping right-handed quarterbacks with a bunch of 5-yard outs or 10-yard outs or bubbles to the side that's easier for the right-handed quarterback. Now The other issue is that coaching technique for a right-handed coach can be difficult when coaching a left-handed quarterback because everything is opposite. And if a coach can't—coaches sometimes struggle with coaching a guy with the opposite— uh, opposite arm throwing because they can't make it work in their minds. Now, a great fix for this is actually using video where you can literally flip the image where you can film a quarterback, flip the image on video making service, in, you know, what do you call it? Software. And, you know, suddenly to a tongue of low, who throws with his left arm looks like a right-handed quarterback. You can coach him just like a right-handed quarterback. So if you're uncomfortable with the left-handed side of things, you can literally flip it on, on video, do an easier job that way. Um, I can't tell you why there are not more left-handed quarterbacks in the NFL. I almost wonder if it's just that there are so few, and so you don't see as many. Also, you got to realize that a much greater—you know, I'm left-handed. I'm one of the few people—I I am have a dexterous, so I, I throw right-handed, actually. I bat both when I play baseball, and I write with my left hand. But there are very few people who write with their left hand. You got to remember, there are just fewer people, period, in the population who throw a ball with their left arm. So that's going to hurt things anyway. And then when there's not an example in front of you, a left-handed quarterback might struggle literally like, I don't see any examples on TV of left-handed quarterbacks. So I'm not going to, you know, there's just, it's a limiting factor that way. Now, here's a question. Will any of the problems that left-handed quarterbacks have with coaching or with offensive systems or yada, yada, is any of that going to impact Tua to a tongue of Loa in the NFL, no, really not at all because um, the NFL is not going to have a system that's really set towards a right-handed or left-handed quarterback. In the NFL, you got to be able to do both things, and the NFL, the level of coaching is going to be able to easily help coach technique of a left-handed quarterback or right-handed quarterback. So Tua is not going to struggle with any of the stuff that left-handed quarterbacks might typically struggle with in high school or in college, um, because the NFL is just a higher, more professional level of football. Period. Uh, but also, that's part of why there are fewer left-handed quarterbacks is simply because there's fewer people who throw with their left hand. Even me, a guy who I write with my left hand, I throw with my right. And when I was a kid, I learned how to throw by looking at Peyton Manning and watching him. And so I went, oh, because what I saw on TV was right-handed quarterbacks. So when I picked up a football, I only thought to throw with my right hand. Okay, Chris writes in. He says, hey, Zach, hope all is well. Hope you're doing as best as you can be in the circumstances. I wondered if you'd seen the rumored leaks regarding The Last of Us 2, and if you have, what you thought of them. As I know that you, like I, are so excited for the release. I thought I'd stay away from the topic of football for a change and mix up the question, best wishes from across the pond in England and keep up the good work. Yeah, man, um, number one, The Last of Us, I heard it got leaked. Really, really sad. I felt really bad for everybody there. Like, a massive amount of the game got leaked. I'm not going to spoil the game for anybody. In fact, um, I have worked really, really hard to completely avoid all the leaks for The Last of Us. I can't wait to play the game. And I don't want to know what's in the leaks because I want to play the game when it comes out and be surprised by everything I see. So I have intentionally avoided um, any spoilers for The Last of Us. I don't really go on Twitter. Thank God I probably avoided them that way. Uh, I want the game to be a surprise for me. Now, they're the only pod- I only listen to one podcast in the entire world. It's actually a video game podcast. And they were really, really kind to... They reported on, hey, the leak happened, but really all it did for me is help me know to avoid it because I I didn't know the game had leaked without that podcast. Uh, it's called Sacred Symbols. They're a phenomenal, phenomenal podcast. If you like video games, listen to Sacred Symbols. Uh, There's some controversial people. Uh, I applaud them for the way they are honest about stuff and they don't mind being controversial. I really I really like the two people that run that podcast. Um, and I I just, uh, yeah, I, I totally avoided The Last of Us spoilers. I didn't want to have it spoiled for me and I... I didn't want to know what was in them. Okay, uh, L writes in. L says, Zach, how would you rank the Power 5 divisions? The SEC is obviously number one. Yeah, I agree. Um, Ranking the Power 5 college football programs, you have the SEC, Big 10, Big 12, Pac-12, and ACC. To me, the SEC is clearly number one. They have Alabama, LSU, not to mention Florida, Georgia, and more. Um, Pretty clear, the SEC is the best Football conference. If you want to be, if you're a high school kid who wants to play in the NFL, go play in the SEC. You're gonna have play against the best talent for the best schools, with the most of the money is probably there too as well. Uh, the SEC is the best Power Five conference for football. Number two for me is the Big Ten. I think you just have so much depth with Ohio State, Michigan, Minnesota, Penn State, Iowa. Uh, so many good programs in the Big Ten. The Big Ten, in my opinion, is the second best. Power Five conference number three is the Big Twelve. They're the best of the rest after the SEC and the Big Ten. You have Oklahoma. I mean, they're phenomenal. Texas, a lot of solid football throughout the Big Twelve. Now, three and four and five to me. Excuse me. The four and five teams were really uh, conferences were really close. It came down to it's either the Pac twelve or the ACC. And for the fourth ranked team in the Power Five divisions, I actually went with the Pac twelve. It came down to this. The ACC has Clemson. Yes, they have a great football program who wins championships and that's great. But other than Clemson and South Carolina, what does the ACC have? Syracuse, Georgia Tech. I mean, what, what else what is there in the the ACC? I think the middling teams other than after Clemson the Pac-12 would sweep the ACC across the board. They're much better in the middling range. So I I think that PAC 12 is just a smidge better from top to bottom than the ACC, even though the ACC has dominant Clemson, which is kind of interesting. Like Clemson is so good, but they play in probably the weakest power five division in football. I mean, the East coast in general, just doesn't care as much about college football. Uh, So I I just, I mean, a lot of the, the ACC is the East coast uh, and that limits them a little bit. They have like Louisville. Great. Congratulations. I guess. Um, but yeah, so again, my, my top five power five conferences are the SEC number one, Big Ten number two, Big 12 number three, Pac-12 number four, and ACC number five. And I'm not a big Pac-12 guy. I mean, people, I get, I, get, I get it from both sides. People either say, you're a huge Pac-12 homer or you're a huge Pac-12 hater. I don't care. I'm objective. I don't. I try to be as objective as possible. Even though I do live in Portland, Oregon, I live in Vancouver, Washington, which is about 15 minutes from Portland, Oregon. Uh, I'm an Oregon kid. Grew up there, and um, yeah, I'm just not. I, I just try not to be biased for the Pac-12 at all. Uh, even with that bias aside, I, I try to remove it, and I think that they are the fourth best conference in the Power Five. Okay, uh, fire safety writes in. He says, "Hey Zach, have you ever considered doing film analysis videos on elite quarterbacks of the past? You know, like Joe Montana, Dan Marino, etc. Or is the era that they were considered?" Great and too radically different to compare to today. Love the show. I'm actually not a big fan of most of the sports you talk about, but I stumbled across your videos a while back and was hooked in by your passion and enthusiasm. Keep it up. Uh, Fire safety. Thank you so much. It's crazy. You're not even a big fan of the sports I talk about, and you still support me on Patreon. Thank you so much. It means a lot. Um, Number one, uh, man, first of all, I have no idea how to get film for the 80s or the 90s or the 70s. Like, how do you find Joe Montana film? I honestly have no idea. Now, is it that radically different? No, I think it'd be really interesting to do a a film analysis video for Joe Montana. I just have no idea how to get film for the 80s and 90s or the 70s. I just don't know. Um, Now, there are a lot of past quarterbacks I would love to do, though. Guys like Brady Quinn, Matt Schaub, Mark Sanchez, Tim Tebow, Jason Campbell, Rex Grossman, Blake Bortles, RGV. There's a lot of quarterbacks. So I'm like, why did this guy's career not work out the way it seemed like it would? Why was Matt Schaub, a guy who at one point threw 5,000 yards for the Texans, why did he kind of flame out? What happened to his career? I, I don't know. And so I want to find out. Um, but those are the guys I'd probably talk about. It had to be from the 2000s because I just don't know how to access film from the NFL in the 80s. I have no idea how to get access to that film at all. Okay, uh, Last question of the day. We do have one topic after Ask Zach, actually. With Your Eyeballs writes in, he says, Man, hey, Zach, you said to get creative, which I did, and you certainly did too. With Your Eyeballs says, here I go. Aliens are invading Earth, and they plan to take over the world. However, they've offered up a solution. They'll take their strongest alien, and humans will take their strongest person. The two will duel it out in a UFC-style cage match, assuming... This is under the UFC rules. Who are your top three candidates to send into the ring? Um, the Rock? Question mark. I don't know. Um, I feel like the fun part of this question—it's kind of interesting because I think the actually dangerous people in the world, the most dangerous human beings in the world, are like the really, really bad dudes who like could beat up an alien. Are probably people I've never heard of, uh, right? Like they're like. First of all, who is the alien? Is he tall? Is he big? Is he fast? Like, who am I trying to pick to? What matchup am I working with here? I have no idea. So, I don't know how I can put my best foot forward without more information, but I really want to go back to this thought. Like, I have no idea who really actually is the best fighter in the world. Is it like some guy who works for the Russian government we've never heard of? Probably. It's probably some dude that's not actually famous, not actually in the UFC because he gets paid a lot of money in the private sector to beat up people for Russia or like China or something. We have no idea, right? But my point is that we don't really know who the best fighter in the world is. We know who the best guy in the UFC is. But that doesn't mean a lot. Conor McGregor or Floyd Mayweather might not actually be the best fighter in the world even if they dominate their sport because, again, there might be some Russian thug who works for the Russian military who just is like – the biggest baddie we've ever heard of in the world. So I don't know how to answer the question, even with, um, I don't even know the information I need for what's the best matchup. Like, is this alien seven feet tall and really slow? Do I need a small quick dude? Do, like, What do I need to match up? I have no idea. Um, I don't know what the alien looks like. So with your eyeballs, if you could write in again, describe the alien. That'd be really fun. What alien is the, am I, am I fighting up against? Is it just like a bunch of little green men? Cause then I think a lot of people could beat up little green men. I don't know. Um, but anyway, with your eyeballs, get creative again, write in again and tell me what does the alien look like? We'll go back and forth for a little while until we figure out who we would really have to choose to fight in the ring against this alien. Um, we have one more topic left I want to talk about. I watched the HBO docu-series 24-7 college football. Uh, it's where they had a camera crew spend a week with four college football programs. They had Florida, Penn State, Arizona State, and Washington State. Um, Florida's episode was a solid watch, so there's only four episodes, one for each school. Uh, I like Florida's head coach, Dan Mullen. Seems like a good dude that I'd enjoy playing for. Uh, and really the series, when I watched HBO's college football, 24-7 college football, it really just reminded me how much work college football is. People have no idea like how much work goes in behind the scenes to, do a, to play a college football season. Um, it's a crazy, busy, full-time job. Now, Penn State and Florida were fine. Penn State was especially boring. No offense to Penn State. It's just that they were so focused on winning. I didn't feel like we got any really interesting stuff. Penn State was the most forgettable episode of this documentary series I've ever seen. Although I did like their coach, Jonathan Franklin, as well. He's a good dude. Um, Florida and Penn State seemed busy, focused on winning. And you know, a week with a team really isn't enough time. I'm not sure I recommend this documentary series at all a week with the team is really not enough time to get good information or a good storyline out of a team. Uh, And HBO really only showed the good stuff. There's no drama. There's no bad moments. Uh, It seems like HBO was kind of afraid to hurt their relationships with college programs, which I don't blame them. It makes sense to me. If your TV show always is making college programs look bad, then schools aren't going to want to work with you. Um, But it's an inherent problem that makes everything feel kind of sugar-coated and sort of fake. I don't know that HBO's 24-7 college football really has anything new. There's no new information you hear in the whole series. It's like, oh, this is all stuff I could have found by reading or doing local newspaper. Like, any, literally anything. It's all just out there already. There's nothing new in this whole series. Um, I don't know. you have never shown drama or dysfunction, uh, so you'll never know if there is any with a program. Now, my favorite episode of the series—it's a four-part series—was Arizona State's episode—actually, f- episode three of the series. I watched it fourth because I skipped ahead to Pullman. Uh, I love Herm Edwards, Arizona State's head coach. Uh, throughout the whole episode, they were cutting back and forth to quotes from him he gave when they sat him down at his desk. It's pretty clear. They sat him down one time at his desk, and he was just passionately ranting about how much he loves football— and they just kept, kept cutting to that where he's, he's clearly in the same shirt for, like, the entire episode, just cutting back to that episode. He must have given them, like, two hours worth of content just sitting there talking. Um, I, I love it, man. I, you know, you hear Herm Edwards talk about football, and it's clear he left television because he believed that Arizona State was the right, perfect situation for him to be a head coach. He's fun. He's intense. Herm Edwards is energetic. energetic. And there's no question when you watch Herm Edwards talk about college football, the dude loves, loves, loves football, and I, I think it's awesome. Uh, he's straightforward. As Arizona State, he's building a program where he's trying to develop NFL players, and I, I really think it resonates with high school kids that want to be recruited. They're like, "Yeah, I want to go play for Herm Edwards and learn how to be an NFL player." I get it; it's awesome, uh, and you can tell Arizona State gave him full control of everything. He hired his guys. He's doing everything his way. I believe in him. And the best episode, the most, the the episode of the most new information you've never heard of before is probably the Arizona State episode. You're like, oh, I learned a lot about Arizona State. Most of them are pretty sugar-coated. The fourth episode was Washington State. And, you know, I spent a ton of time in Pullman. And it was cool to see places I used to hang out at on TV. Literally, I'm like, oh, that's a place I had ice cream. That's a place where I worked at. Uh, I've been all over the whole football facility Uh, And, you know, surprisingly, I thought Mike Leach was really—he represented himself with a lot of humility. He represented himself pretty well. Uh, And I like seeing Anthony Gordon, the former quarterback of Washington State. I got to see more of his personality in 24-7 college football. Uh, I will say, though, I I don't recommend HBL's 24-7 college football. It's just not a great— it's not a great idea. I mean, it's just not well. Ex- it's it's well produced. The music is good. The camera work is good, but it's just too short. You get too short a glimpse into a football program, and I just I don't I didn't really attach to it. Didn't get it. No drama. Not a lot of interesting stuff happened. Uh, the third episode of Herm Edwards is by far the best, and I guess if you're a Florida fan or Penn State fan or. A Washington State fan or an Arizona State fan, then you're probably going to like what you see because hey, you get to watch your favorite football team do something on the field that's interesting, I guess. Um, but otherwise, I just don't know that I recommend HBL's 24/7 college football at all. I just don't; it's not that great. Okay, I want to end the show this way, the same way I do every single podcast. Um, four years ago, my younger brother died, took his own life, and I learned two really painful lessons. Uh, number one, if you're struggling, please go get help. If you're struggling, do not suffer in silence. Go get help. Uh, go talk to a teacher, a counselor, a friend, a parent, anybody. Do not keep your struggling a secret. My brother never told anyone, had no idea he was going through a hard time. And one day I walked into his bedroom and found him dead on the floor. Don't want that for anybody. And if you really have no one to talk to, if there's no authority figure in your life you can talk to, then as a last result, please call the suicide hotline 1-800-273-8255, one 800 273 8255. If you really have no one to talk to as a last resort, you can call the Suicide Hotline uh, and make sure, man, the people in your life know you love them. I wish I'd given my brother more hugs. I wish I told him I cared about him more. Uh, We we worked together. We played video games together. We played high school football together. And, you know, we only talked about four things, video games, movies, sports, and girls. We've really never had a deep, meaningful conversation. I regret that. I encourage you, make sure the people in your life know how much you love them tell them you love them give them hugs tell them you love them and make it clear to them that if they're struggling they can come talk to you and open up guys my name is Zach Shomler. thank you so very much for tuning in uh really excited man it's gonna be it's seven thirty right now this episode will come out around 10 p.m. on the west coast time and then I'll go straight to bed uh gonna get back to work tomorrow at eight o'clock uh, in the morning I got a new work schedule I'm really excited about it um and I think it's going to be good for everybody. it's going to produce more content. I'm going to feel more rested all the time, and uh, it's going to be a more steady pace I can sustain. So I'm excited for the future of a Strong Opinion Sports. Thank you for supporting me. Thanks to the people on Patreon. I love you guys so much. Hope you have a great day. Hope COVID-19 is not bringing you down too much. Um, and uh, go watch Avatar The Last Airbender. We'll talk about that tomorrow. I guess not tomorrow. When, when, whenever I record the next episode, I think Saturday is when I record the next podcast for Strong Opinion Sports. We'll talk about Avatar and ask Zach. It's going to be a great question. My name is Zach Schallinger. Bam, bam, bam. We are done.